This is John Trooper. This is Kate Prusser. This is Julio Rodriguez. Produced by Evan James Audio. This is Lookout Landing Podcast. Welcome to the Lookout Landing Podcast. My name is John Troopin. I am Deputy Managing Editor. Hear the jingling of my boots as I walk into the room. Uh, Lookoutlanding.com. And I am joined today by Kate Prusser. We are Evan Evanless in Seattle. Seattle, yeah. Um, am I the sheriff then, like leaning back in one of those rolly chairs with my boots up on the desk, like yes, at over my face, <laughs> taking a little snooze? I, I believe so. I Maybe think like yeah, a piece of wheat or whatever hanging out of my mouth, chewing on. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think I that you are. Yeah, you've got you've got a real um who is that like detective from like the like 50s 60s sort of 70s like TV um that uh this is terrible. I only remember him from the fact that he was on Scooby Doo as a detective, who's sort of a almost a nebbish kind of uh guy. Very Mason? No. Oh, this is this is brutal. I'm going to try and figure this out at some point. 50s, 60s, 70s, three de- decades of TV. Listen, I don't know. I don't know when things happened. It, it was uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to check out guest stars on Scooby-Doo. Oh, yeah, because that's, uh, that's the way to go about this. Definitely don't Google TV detectives. Don for three decades. Don, Don Knotts. Knotts. I feel like... Yeah, <laughs> well... Was he a detective? Yeah, Barney Fife. Barney Fife. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess he wasn't a detective. He was, he was, he was oh, a sheriff. But, very yeah. famously not a detective. All right. Well, again, it was more of a detective aesthetic. And Barney Fife was the deputy. (laughs) You're so wrong. You're so wrong on all the counts. Hang on. A 1960s sitcom. All right. right. Uh, I I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. He wore a hat, which is what you do when you're detecting things. He did wear a hat. Yes. So, I mean, you could have as easily said Kaiser Wilhelm, also well known for a hat, but okay. All right. That's fine that's fine let's move uh, on John. for his sandwiches um <laughs> we got her we got her yeah, uh, it's rolls it's kaiser rolls it's not even sandwiches <laughs> you are not i know kate prusser is not about to tell me something isn't a sandwich oh okay all right this is referencing a very controversial take that i have which is anything it's on the podcast that you gave on the podcast uh, i'm just saying like not everyone listens to everyone and just I defend the idea that a sandwich is any protein with a carb wrapped around it or filling. We could say filling with a carb wrapped around it. So that allows you to have a pretty loose interpretation of what a sandwich is. I believe inherent to a sandwich is that it is two pieces of a carb. That are wrapped. I think that is that is Two the distinction. Pieces. Two distinct pieces. It can be a roll that is sliced in half and then has something placed within it. That so a Philly cheesesteak, not a sandwich. Or you're making an exception and you're saying that is still a sandwich, even though it literally fits uh, my definition. I 
don't need a Philly cheesesteak to be a sandwich because you never call it a Philly cheesesteak sandwich. You call it a Philly cheesesteak. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, and and you know, again, this is this is hot dog a sandwich territory where for me, I could give two shits, but yeah, extremely, extremely, (laughs) extremely tiring. Yeah, kind of. No, you're, you're... The Kaiser is a roll when, and not you, a sandwich. That, yes. that was the important part of that conversation was a Kaiser is sure, a type of roll. This is fair. Um, that I sometimes cut in half and make into a sandwich with, uh, you know, some or, or a burger or something like that. Mm. Um, Do you like well, we've got we've, we've got a full meal lined up for you Ooh, all. Oh, uh, nice. Was one of your better segues, honestly. I don't think I've ever going to deliver a good or bad segue <laughs> without us pausing to acknowledge we 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 rubberneck my segues <laughs> <We do. just laughs> with absolute impunity. Um, all right, uh, for y'all, we have lined up um some news we're gonna we're gonna chat about dylan moore getting a contract extension we're gonna talk through yeah we're gonna talk about uh the sort of pre-spring training presser um Mm -hmm. that just went down kate you um wrote about it was followed it and wrote about it wrote about it listen um we 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 have got some we've got some uh questions that stem from that uh and then we have some good questions that we're going to uh get into because uh y'all y'all gave us a few um that tied in nicely with what we wanted to talk about a little bit of talk about luis castillo a little bit of talk about evan white uh what now that we know that the team is sort of officially going with left field as a platoon of some persuasion uh you know look at how we feel about that and um and uh, i think just generally wrap around to the the team's pretty strong stance of coming out and saying we the goal is to win the division and believing that they are in position to do that um which you know, I think is they have they certainly have a chance, um, but we're uh, we'll we'll get to that when we <laughs> to sort of near the end here. So um, first off, let's start with D Mo uh, Dylan Moore, Mariners utility man. Uh, I wrote up this deal um, on the site, and Kate, you wrote Dylan Moore's forty and forty his season preview. Um, I did do that. It's, I, in, in, in checking on this, I was sort of bemused, um, impressed for Dylan Moore, not as impressed for the Seattle Mariners, but impressed for Dylan Moore, uh, that in the Jerry DePoto era, he is the club's most productive by wins above replacement, um, major league free agent signing that they have had. Uh, they signed him. He had been a minor league free agent twice, and in, in his second go around, he was signed by the Mariners because the Mariners were willing to um, essentially offer him a forty man roster spot. The you know that sort of was a separator. It's in 
the way that he has performed since has absolutely justified that. It, it's, you know, I would certainly love that they might have had some bigger and more impactful signings, but, uh, you know, it's not as though Dylan Moore is a star of this team, but he has been excellent and he has been incredibly important on rosters where there have been dire times. And when he's been out, uh, they have really, really missed him and what he can do. Yeah, I mean, he's somebody you can plug in all over the field. And he kind of fit the team at the right time. You know, as far as that signing went, that was, what, 2018? Uh, pri- yeah, the prior to 2019. So he was, he, was the, he was signed, right? you know, to begin the step back. Yeah, so honestly, and I think a large part of the reason I have such a fondness for Dylan Moore, aside from the fact that my mom calls him Mr. Gorgeous, which is a uh, <laughs> the last player who earned that treatment from her was none other than uh, Franklin Gutierrez himself, who she called Dreamboat. So uh, Dylan Moore's in fine fine company there. Uh, just a real handsome little guy. But he he really came on and was like one of the more watchable things about the 2019 Mariners. Would you not agree? I think it's pretty unequivocal. I mean, even, you know, even in 2019, he was not necessarily um, yet the player that he's become, but his sort of whole arc has been... (laughs) Beginning from, I feel like, we all know this, but let's talk about it anyway. Yeah. Beginning from his absolutely disastrous, disastrous, it was his first game, right? Um, It wasn't his first... Game, but it was it was his first. Um, I think it was his first stateside game because he he played, he played in once Japan. in Japan, yeah. and then yeah. So his like home debut, I believe. Yeah, as a defensive replacement. Yes, came in at third base, three errors in the same inning. Right? Unfathomably bad. Unfathomably yeah. bad. Bailed out by Nick Rumbelow, <laughs> which is the <laughs> true things. crime. And then the real touching, you know, photo afterwards of Scott Service, like, it's kind of holding Demo, like, in this very intense kind of manly embrace and just being like, you could just tell. He was like, it's okay, you're okay, like. And then he came back and he bounced back and he was, it was great. And, you know, then that kind of closed with him making that incredible leaping catch to save Felix you know what would have been a pretty humiliating uh, where the bases last lo- game yeah were the bases loaded was, at the time i think it was yeah it would have been like a bases loaded bases clearing uh double at yeah. least and it would you know it would have gone from like five innings three runs you know fine enough start uh to you know, just getting blown out of the doors yeah. you know yeah. i mean I mean, really just legacy preserving, right? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, obviously Felix would have been beloved regardless, no, no, but no, like no. the entire tenor of that night was, it would have been so dramatically different if it was just Felix getting shelled out of the park. Uh, you know, just almost sort of like, tragically symbolic of how the year and how his career was going. 
And instead, it was, you know, it wasn't great. They, they lost. Like, he was the losing pitcher, yeah. but it wasn't yeah. like, but, you know, he was perfectly respectable. And, you know, it, it, it's, it is how you want people to go out. You, you want to see players, when they finish their careers, you want it to be, it, it, it wasn't on Felix's terms, obviously, but it was the closest thing that you could get at that point. And the fact that Dylan Moore essentially willed that into being, and, you know, again, go, I linked this in the blurb, but go read Nick Stillman's article on it. Just the, the moment by moment it is, it, it makes me teary eyed every time I watch it, every time I read that article again, like, um, yeah, I I mean, again, like it's also, it's not just that year, right? Like this is a guy who, has clear versatility and, and value to the team and extend the roster. He's also been at, you know, the center of these big moments, you know, the Brooks Raley Homer, uh, that was two homers of, off Brooks Raley. Two giant. Two, two, homers. Two, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean like he's, he is, I think a, you know, he's, he is a well, well-regarded teammate. You know, it's always, I think the utility guys, there is it's sort of a trope that like you know it's the grinder or whatever but like the player who gives the everyday guys a chance to actually rest and to feel like okay i can take a day off because i know that i'm not screwing over the, the team right. because i know you know jp this doesn't always happen but right but like jp when when jp crawford is out the mariners aren't falling off a cliff they are um you know they are going to dylan moore who is perfectly solid when they need to give eugenio suarez a um day off they can you know they can go there in the outfield you know they can give julio a day off with him they can give every position you know, support because of that. And they're going to need him to be, you know, this contract is a pay bump that gives him, you know, gives the Mariners an extra year of Dylan Moore and also gives, you know, some level of recognition to the fact that he's going to be playing more, I think. Mm. Yeah, when they couldn't come to an arbitration agreement with him, we theorized that the sticking point was that Moore wanted to be played paid like a starter and the Mariners were trying to pay him like a utility player and obviously with a role kind of entrenched as the weak side of the platoon at second base plus everything else he's been doing you know he's gonna get a lot of reps um, but it turns out happily that they were just hopefully working out this extension deal and uh, we'll see a lot of Dylan Moore next year and he's been productive while he's out there and in the um, in the Media luncheon the other day, Service said, and I thought there was a lot of good reflection from the team, not just Service, but he was the one who kind of crystallized it the most, that basically said that they they didn't handle, I'm paraphrasing wildly here, but they didn't handle J.P. Crawford as best they could have, and Service kind of acknowledged it's really difficult to give him days off, because he doesn't want to take a day off. So... You're already kind of fighting with him. See him being 
much more productive if he gets much more time to rest. And Dylan Moore is going to be huge in getting JP. We looked this up. JP played the fourth most games at shortstop in the AL last year. Is that right? Seventh most Uh, overall, I want to say. It was, yeah, it was very high up there. And it was, I think it's third most games in the past, like either two or three years. Just, you know, it was like Dansby Swanson and someone else. I can't recall. Or Trey Turner. Trey Turner and Dansby Swanson and JP. Yeah. You know, he's he's kind of a lighter guy. Uh, That wear and tear is just really intense. And it was nice to hear that that that's something that they're recognized. They recognized that that was kind of a shortcoming last year and that maybe it impacted his ability to be consistent both on the field you know in the field and in the in the box so that's something that i'm i'm looking forward to this year um are you do you think it is how is this for a leading question do you think it's a meaningful or indicative of anything that the mariners have had um success in signing uh sort of all of these extensions uh of of late do you think it i I guess do you think it's just sort of the nature of how the game is 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 growing and and shifting or do you think it is particularly something that the mariners are doing a good job of Mm, i mean i think that they're signing extension i don't think it has anything to do with anything other than um are being offered extensions that they see as fair to them relative to their market value and they like their teammates and they like the place where they are and so they're signing on um and you know it's an exciting point of the contention cycle i don't know who like especially when you look around at teams that are just actively not trying to get better knowing that you could go out there and get signed by a team like the a's or i don't know cincinnati just Pittsburgh, like there are so many kind of organizations, Detroit, there are so many organizations that are in rough shape or that are maybe cresting their contention cycle or their futures are up in the air. Like, are they going to sell the team or not? You know, the Angels are kind of a mess in that department. The Nationals, obviously, you know, there's there's a kind of a small number of teams that are like in it competing at a good place in the contention cycle um and then you know if you have experience with them the mariners really push that family feel and that was something that was said in the presser as well depoto said let me see if i can find the exact quote um depoto was talking about how this is a special team he said he's never been a team around a team with this kind of energy this kind of work ethic this kind of care for the guy next to them and i think that just being around the team a little bit in the clubhouse this past season, you really do see that. Like these guys genuinely like each other. They all kind of talk and mess around with each other. There's a real spirit of camaraderie. Uh, The older players really do look after the younger players. Colton Wong talked about wanting to do that as a veteran, wanting to help guide some of the younger players, teach them what he knows. Robbie Ray has been huge in talking with Kirby and, Logan Gilbert and really helping them learn how to be pros. So that's what I think. I don't know. What do you think? I think that you're, you're absolutely right. That like the, the sort of 
dynamic in the clubhouse and you know i don't know how much to credit the mariners but i also don't know that it matters that much because it does exist it, it is a place that players once they're here seem to want to stay um and you know i i wish i wish i feel like i feel like their mariners could do more to bring in players externally um i don't think that that's i think that's pretty hard to um I don't think that that's an outlandish stance or, or really a hard um, hard case to make. But what I do think is um, the Mariners have seven players now signed through uh, the 2025 season under sort of guaranteed deals. Um, and that could be as many as nine because they have team options for Marco Gonzalez and uh, Eugenio Suarez. But um, there's, I believe, the only team that has more um, under, and this is this is sort of splitting it thin. But uh, you know, because league minimum deals, uh, you know, entry, you know, players who are just debuted, players in arbitration, they're still going to be there. It's just not like guaranteed in this same way, in that we don't know how much specifically they're going to be paid. But the team knows, and the team also, it's basically just a series of team options. So. You know, the team can choose whether to pay them or not. But the Atlanta Braves are the only team that has uh, more. They've got, I think, eight um, and then a couple of team options as well. So if you're looking at how you would want to set your team up, um, and this is something explicitly the, Mar the Mariners have talked about wanting to emulate, is Atlanta's, you know, pretty clear. And now Atlanta has had success in they signed some players to very very low paying deals relative to what they those players ultimately were able to produce um which make made it a lot easier on the team um and some of those deals particularly Aussie Alpes um I think you there's an argument that they are almost exploitative given the given the circumstances but um, I think by and large the roast the rest of the Mariners deals and most of the rest of the, the Atlanta's deals are are pretty straightforward. You know, you you see how it makes sense for both sides, and I think it does sort of it it, it is very exciting to me as a fan and as someone who wants to analyze a team to see like yeah you know J P Crawford. And Dylan Moore and Julio Rodriguez and Luis Castillo and you know Andres Munoz, like all these players who are under you know deals who have, who have said yes, I either I chose to become a Mariner or I am choosing to stay a Mariner. Mm -hmm. That's a really that's that's not something that happens that often in pro sports and i think we're so used to you know we're used to the draft and we're used to trades and all that and it's fun and exciting and it's you know but like it's so easy to root for players to me when the players actually are choosing to be you know, it it it's sort of it it is the, it is what transcends that rooting for laundry thing to a degree. And yes, of course, they're being paid quite well. But like all of these players would be paid somewhere right. else. They chose to be paid here, uh, and that makes it 
the the fact that the Mariners have a an increasingly significant percentage of their roster choosing to be here for lack of a better term you know to some degree and as much as that's possible that is really fun and i think we're gonna really like how that manifests over the next half decade decade whatever i think that makes for a team that people get to know that 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 fans get to sort of you know you you're familiar you recognize people right you know folks like my mom and my brothers who are you know they like baseball they like going to a game but they're not uh you know they even would call themselves mariners fans but they're not they're not doing what we do much less you know even just watching the game a few nights a week right there that those sorts of things where it's like oh well yeah i you know my mom recognized dan wilson and she recognized you know jay buner and she recognized you know players who were there you know she knew felix she knew ichiro but like there was so much turnover and and the fact that you get a little bit more consistency and and familiarity um i think that's meaningful from a fan perspective and i also think it's it can be really valuable and helpful from the consistency and the stability perspective for player development in an organization where uh, a team has a a similar core of players who have grown together and continue improving together and hold each other accountable, ideally. Um, So that, that is, that is what, again, you know, this just strikes me as a positive and sort of is what I'm crossing my fingers. Maybe, uh, upcoming for uh, Teoscar Hernandez, since we're still waiting on his arbitration uh, situation, and there was at least some discussion that the team was uh, looking into extending him. Well, I mean, so. the one thing I would say, if I'm going to put my little tin, this is this is Kate's tinfoil hat corner. Uh, Teoscar yeah. Hernandez was in person at the you you Kaiser yes home yes. And- <laughs> Extending, it is the Germanic history of my last name. I mean, it's got to, I'm, I'm entitled to this. This is my birthright. I get to put on my metal hat with the big pointy spike on top and make wild outlandish theories. But I will say Teoscar Hernandez was in person yesterday for the media luncheon. I mean, he could have just been in doing like general intake, things like that. We know he was in Florida most recently training with Julio. Maybe that had come to an end and then he's going to come up here and then go down to Arizona and start. A lot of the players are already in Arizona um, or have been in Arizona. There's no, this isn't like football. There's no like limit on when players can show up and start working out um, in groups even. (laughs) Baseball players will take, are allowed as much opportunity to prepare as possible. As they want. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it could have just been a stop through, like he's, flying from Miami cross country anyway. So I don't know, but I did think it was significant. Uh, we, uh, listen, Teoscar, I know Teoscar's waiting on his next sort of pay bump. You gotta, we've gotta be able to get Teoscar Hernandez. I know, I know we're having supply chain issues. I know the airline industry. If, if Teoscar Hernandez, who I think made like $7 million last year, <laughs> cannot get a direct, a direct flight from to- my, has to, has to lay over <laughs> I'm not saying he to was, Seattle. I'm not saying that it was the flight. I'm saying, you know, he's already on a plane and then it's an easy flight down from, you know, if you're crossing the country already, it's not so hard to go to make stops in both places. 
I don't know. I'm trying to be rational, but like he was there in the building, whereas like Colton Wong was Skyping in or whatever, zooming in. I forget what it was, but yeah, it's it was in the building. So like, let's hope that that was in order for some conversations to take place and you know, maybe selling him on the idea a little bit of of being a mariner longer. Maybe it was just a chance uh, to feel him out and make sure that we don't have like a Jesse Winker kind of situation again. You know, get a sense. I was, I, Tay Oscar won me over when he said, first of all, he said that he was. Please tell me, uh, are we going to talk about his uh, just blatant lying? I didn't think it was <laughs> a lie. Excellent lying. Okay, no, it wasn't sorry. A lie. Everyone wanted to play Go Seattle, ahead. but not me. I knew they had a good pitching staff, starters and relievers. And I didn't want to face that in the playoffs. That was his quote. And I, I that, repeated that it verbatim on Twitter. And everyone was like, <laughs> I mean, like, I thought that to me, this was a player showing respect, saying like, hey, I knew they had a good pitching staff and I prepared. And then he had success against that pitching staff. I, I didn't hey, see I any know. problems with it. I know Twitter has been. Brittany really was like, "Oh, I love, downward. I love the pandering." I didn't think it was pandering. Uh, first of all, I want to say I know Twitter's in a downward spiral. You've got to start muting the residents of Innsmouth that apparently <laughs> are most of your mentions. Look, that's all that's it looks it. like to me, honestly. When it's like a bunch just, of screen names with numbers and letters, like just fish people. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, but uh, listen, I'll just say, All right. com- yeah, it's always tricky when you get a completely unverifiable, <laughs> sounds really sweet, doesn't it, kind of story. I would, you know, I would absolutely believe that Teoscar Hernandez was like, oh yeah, I don't really want, I would rather play a team that didn't sweep our asses into next week. Um, you know, in, in embarrassing fashion uh, earlier this year, and I think win the season series overall, um, especially when they could have played, I think, Tampa? Yeah, they could have played I don't, Tampa, you know. but they have, like, a lot... People, I, I think that there's some rewriting history, there's some retconning that's happening. People thought Seattle were pretenders. Like... Blue Jays fans were very confident. Do you remember that? They were like, Well, they should have been confident. They had a a really good team. (laughs) Absolutely. We will stomp all over them. We've owned them for years. There is a much more fraught history between the Blue Jays and the Rays, where the Rays have been really pesky and knocked the Blue Jays out of contention. Of course, they didn't want to play the Rays. They probably didn't want to play the Yankees. Yeah. Everyone wanted to play Cleveland, but uh, Tampa did a great job of making sure that they were going to be the ones who did that. So, yeah, I think Uh, like and it worked out very badly. uh, (laughs) Oh, and behold. But yeah, I think I think that Seattle was like, ah, this is, you know, they had a came on strong at the end, but they had a pretty rough year in the middle, all of which is fair. You know, the players didn't have. I think the kind of name recognition or cachet, like the lineup has always been seen as kind of like, that's eh, fine. Uh, pitching staff did not, no respect on George Kirby's name yet at that point. That was before he came out and absolutely shoved in the playoffs. Like, 
Yeah, I think Castillo was Castillo was the big scary one, but beyond that, everyone knew Robbie Ray had been really struggling most of the season. So yeah, I think I I think and what I remember from Blue Jays Twitter was they were like, heck yeah, Seattle. So I would not be surprised that that would have been the conception in the clubhouse as well. And also, why would he say that? Would why I, would he say that if that was not true? Because uh, it makes him seem like he already liked Seattle. I don't think he's a uh, pander, and, and here's what, He doesn't need to well, pander. He, here's what I'll say. He... That may not have been pandering. Him saying, I've loved hitting in Seattle ever since I played in Houston uh, and came here when he was one for five with two strikeouts <laughs> as a Houston Astro in Seattle uh, made me think the man knows how to try and likes to play to the crowd. And I fully respect it, mm. but... <laughs> I disagree. I'm just I find saying. him very genuine. Okay. I, I found what he's very he... genuine. And I think somebody posted like his splits against every AOS team. And I think he slugs like 500 against the Mariners. So uh, whether it Listen. be here or away, he's he's not had a problem. I I have I don't think we've heard from Robbie Ray yet, and I would like to, because that is something I will say. I would love to hear from Robbie Ray, his former teammate who but for the grace of J.P. Crawford and Carlos Santana uh, and just absolute horrific luck uh, and also Adam Frazier uh, would be an even more goat in goat in a bad way, not goat in a good way uh, for Seattle's sort of postseason efforts. Um, so I, I, I am... It was none of this, to be clear, is something that I begrudge Tasker and Andes for. I think you 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 absolutely say what you say what say what you think is uh, you know play the hits as it were for the crowd, especially when you're trying to get to know them. Um, but I do think your your point on him being there, period, is you know it could absolutely just be that he was there and you know this was part of it, and then he's going to head down. But it does make me curious if he is there to. You know, maybe do a do a physical and finalize something. Uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm a little curious. So, um, I I am would love to transition to a few of the other things that we talked about, including some folks who I think are down uh, in Arizona. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, just real quick, yes. just real quick. I just happened to pull up the splits. Just happened to pull up yeah. the splits for Teoscar Hernandez. <laughs> at oh no! Park. Look what you found here. Oh. Batting average 357, OBP 400, slugging 679. So I think it's, right. I think it's fair to say that Teoscar Hernandez does in fact like hitting in T-Mobile Park. I think that's very. That's a fair point. It's a good point. I'm just saying when he was with Houston, okay. <laughs> he did All not. All right. I mean, he's throwing it back to say that he used to be, and maybe he's saying a little like, "Oh, I have this experience with the house. I don't know. All I know is he was not lying. All right, that's a that's a strong stance. I'll uh, we'll uh, I'll, I'll I'll leave it with you. What I will say is, um, we heard about some other positions as well, some other players. Yes. Uh, in during the presser here, um, I I want to sort of I don't want to dwell too much on it. Um, for for a couple of these, but you made some some good notes. Um, 
We need a sound for like when we're going to be talking about Jared Kelnick on the pod. Like there needs to be like a chime or something. (laughs) We play Uh, a bat cracking over. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, So the part of the presser, I don't remember if it was DePoto or Hollander who said it, but uh, they, they basically said that the plan right now is essentially a left field platoon out the gate with AJ Pollock against left-handed pitching and either uh, Taylor Trammell or Jared Kelnick against right-handed pitching. Um, this isn't like groundbreaking. It's it's what we've been expecting just based on if the season started today. Uh, but, you know, they, they've sort of really, I think, locked it in at this point. I don't I don't know that another big move is coming, and that's sort of what they have indicated as well. So, um, we got some we got some very fun twists on the best shape of their lives uh, trope. Uh, do you do you have the the note pulled up the the what the, the way that Justin Hollander described Jared Kelnick um, during the presser here? Hmm, I might have. Cut it out of my. I think I cut. You're it. good. I, I've I've got it oh, here. So oh, okay. It, 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 um. So Kelnick. Uh, Kelnick's been down in Arizona. I don't know that he's. I believe he is just still down there. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, he has like a house down there that he either stays in yeah. or owns or something. Or he's staying with Evan White or something. Yeah. Oh uh, no no no. J J K is a <laughs> J K is a lone wolf. <laughs> Um, so the, the, the term was that, uh, Kelnick had done some like mechanical testing, um, you know, just sort of checking in on how, how they were trying to calibrate his swing Motion capture and Barrett DeHart, yeah, pitching strategist uh, went yeah, down <laughs> and did some mocap and some like you know, blast test where they wire up the bat and measure it as he swings it, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was him and Andy Circus back to back, um, sort of getting, getting, you know, they get all the ping pong balls on them and <laughs> test them out. One of one of them gets to be Gollum, the other gets to play left field, um, and <laughs> I love I love when I get a Kate laugh. Even better is the Kate resigned sigh, exasperated uh, sigh. Continue. <laughs> Um, nerd on legs listen (laughs) (laughs) um so supposedly who knows they say he looks good um that'd be great (laughs) it'd be choice uh because you know we know he can impact the ball we know he can absolutely crush minor league pitching uh is he able to recognize pitches and put his swing into practice consistently? And there's not really a way of knowing that until we get into the season. So I, I you know, I, I, it's sort of challenging here. I don't know the answer, but like, is there a way if, you know, unless Kelnick looks really bad, am I, do you think it's fair to say like he's going to be the left fielder? Right, like it, it's sort of hard for me to imagine Trammell can really do that much to to outperform 
you know, if they're both performing reasonably well, it sort of feels like Kelnick is is still going to get that nod yeah. on his sort of pedigree. It's very much. I mean, that's been the way they've been talking about it the whole offseason, though. DePoto has said I would be surprised. I think the word he said was surprised if Jared doesn't. I mean, there's definitely like some weasel wording in it. There's some room. But largely, I think Ben painted as Kelnick is the front runner. Trell is right behind him. Marlowe's off in the distance somewhere. He comes up once in a while on the radio, but it's, I would consider it a two horse race. And one of those horses has a significant lead on the other. But I also think there's like some game, some gamesmanship in the way that they are publicly talking about Jared Kelnick. I think it is to publicly present that they have a lot of confidence in him. I think it's mirroring what they're talking to him about. You know, they're they're doing nothing but show belief and faith in Jared, which I think is what you have to do. Like, and there's nothing that he's done that they can fault him for. He works so hard and obviously he keeps himself in top physical condition. There's nothing that he's doing wrong and they want him to succeed just as much as he wants to succeed. But I think it is important that there's just this constant barrage of like, we believe in Jared, we believe in Jared, we believe in Jared. That um, So that's one thing he doesn't feel like he has to worry about mentally. But Hollander said that, I, Hollander did mention that both physically and mentally, he thinks that Jared is in the best place he's been. Um, the exact quote he used was over the top awesome. And said that his Jared's work ethic, his desire to be great is second and be none. And we're really seeing the fruition of that this offseason. His offseason couldn't have gone better in our eyes. Uh, and then we had the DePoto linking his career to Atlanta's Kyle Wright, which I know you were interested in, John. So, yeah, they're just kind of saying all the yeah. right things. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, it is. Listen, I always feel tough. <laughs> I can't remember if we were discussing this on the podcast or, um, or, or in, I think it may have been on Twitter or something, but essentially about how I don't remember a player as heavily mentally scrutinized um, as Kelnick in, uh, in Seattle, um, at least not in a while, uh, but in baseball, you know, I think it happens in, in, football a lot of there's a lot of russell wilson reading of the tea leaves but like um i think for kelnick so much of it is just once he starts you know when he starts building that confidence because part of the thing for kyle wright was he was such a highly regarded prospect he was a you know top 10 or 15 prospected pitcher um and last year you know he threw 180 innings and was very very solid um, in his age 26 season after parts of four big league seasons where he was bad, just bad and bad and bad and bad. And it was so surprising because he had this, well, he's got a high ceiling cause he's young and he has this, you know, good velocity, but he's also high floor cause he has good command and he does all these things. And you know, pitching development is obviously, I think, has some dramatic differences in uh, comparison to hitting development, where you're you're sort of 
trying to get to the same goal in hitting development, whereas pitching development, you can kind of go a number of different ways to achieve that goal. Um, you know, if you are, you're, you're sort of more bound to your physical uh, constraints, I think, in hitting where, you know, you, you it, it is not the same, but it, there are enough, there are enough players that you can look to if you're looking to find a positive path for Kelnick. And I don't think it is un, unreasonable to think that that's possible for him. Um, he just hasn't yet been the play, you know, he, the, the partial flashes he's shown have been great and he just hasn't shown enough of the good yet to make you think he can ride out the bad stretches. And I want, I, I do believe that that player is in there. Um, so I, I think you're right to highlight them really being heavy on sort of the affirmative statements with him because it's, it's, it's it's still his opportunity, but this this may be his last chance for it to be sort of given not not given to him, but like it it it's the last time I think where the agency is fully in his hands. Uh, afterwards, I think he may have to have someone else get hurt to get a shot, and that's that's a lot tougher. Um. Also, uh, as we're talking offseason, we we should say that like J.P. Crawford, Matt Brash, Taylor Trammell, Tommy LaStella have all been at driveline this past offseason, which is a little surprising to me just because Stella is uh, California, I guess. Trammell is obviously Atlanta. Um, Brash is Ontario. And JP is in his first year, I think, of living in Seattle full time. But like all these guys came to driveline and did some degree of training, um, which I just think is interesting. They're saying, uh, I think it was Depoto said something like, if you hammer the same nail over and over again, it can get kind of stale. So the idea of like bringing in new voices and that they welcome that, I thought that was interesting. Um, and the, JP also kind of got the best shape of his life treatment where they said uh, he's always been a hard worker, but this year he's kind of taken his off-season preparation to another level. He's nailed every bit of what we hoped his off-season would look like. So uh, some some strong words of encouragement, too, on that front. I just thought it was interesting to have all these guys. How many more times can I say interesting? Like, have all these guys based at driveline, obviously a, a... Seattle area, what is it, Maple Valley that it's in? Kent? Kent yeah. is typically yeah. what I would describe it as. So. Based on the based on the buses I took the time one time when I bust there from Seattle <laughs> yeah. when I didn't have a car, which I assume they are not doing. Uh, although it might be easier now, because that was like six years ago. Totally. Um but yeah, I thought that was that was cool that there's sort of this like little laboratory going on, off season laboratory going on kind of right in our backyards. It's been fun to see Seattle uh, sort of 
the Seattle area take on a little bit more of a, yeah, this is a place you come to train, which is not something you would have expected. So I am, I am appreciative uh, to driveline and Kyle body for, uh, for building that up. Um, were you surprised by the way they talked about Tommy Listella? You know, I was because we were talking about this. Uh-huh. Uh, because they hey, we don't do pre-pro. Door, this is, this is all, all off the cuff, baby. Let's, I'll, I'll say that I'm not. I shouldn't joke about that because we typically don't. So, so. We actually do not. <laughs> we like roughly lay out what we're going to talk about and then try to kind of gun through it. Um, no, I was surprised because Service said while he was talking about getting JP days off that like also we need to look at getting a Eugenio Suarez days off and maybe Tommy Lastella could do that. At which point I went, whoa, whoa. Uh, because last I checked, Tommy Lestella was in mostly a DH first base role when he was with the Giants. I know he was hurt. He did have the offseason surgery on both Achilles. Um, seems less than ideal to position or like that in his age 33 season. I think that's right. Just feels like... Uh, hmm. I mean, you can put kind of anyone over at first base or at third. You can put anyone at first base. You can put less of anyone at third base in in very, very limited reps, I guess, like late inning reps and stuff. But I don't understand how that could be like your everyday solution. Not every day, but, you know, your once a week or whatever solution to getting Eugenio Suarez off his feet. Yeah. Um, we got a question about, well, we got a couple of questions about sort of the bench construction, which is something that the, um, that this, this highlighted at least a little bit. Um, we got from uh, McFly at a good old age on Twitter. Uh, is Haggerty on the opening day roster? Uh, and I just want to loop that in with Jace Bain. Uh, at Bain Jace on Twitter, which is seems like there will be a lot of competition for bench spots slash bullpen spots this spring. Do you think there'll be any surprises or dark horses making the opening day roster? Um, so first, I think I, I would say, yes, I do think Sam Haggerty does make the roster. Um, I think that this orientation of uh of the of the lineup tends towards um more utility players <laughs> to be frank uh in part because if you're platooning lots of folks you kind of you know you're going to be making more substitutions per game like you're just you're going to be rotating in your bench a lot and that means i think that you need to have at least two or three players with um significant uh you know positional versatility and haggerty you know we we got a bunch of injury updates seems like pretty much everyone should be good to go more was like a little behind they said but he's they still think he's going to be fine for um, you know, hitting spring training they didn't say spring on time. Training. They said opening day, which I thought was significant because everyone else was given they, uh, was that? as being ready to go for spring training and um, did not specifically say that Dylan Moore was going to be ready for spring training. So I don't know if you see him right away. I think maybe yeah, you see fair. him towards the back half yeah, of spring training. Okay. Um, 
Um, all right, fair fair point. Okay, something something to be a little more mindful of there. But um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, do you think do you think Haggerty has is on this roster? Is is there someone? I guess what do you think the bench is? If if we've got uh, you know if we if we have a a day a lineup where you know it's against a right-handed pitcher and Jared starting in left field uh if it's against a righty and Jared is starting in left field then i guess you have Haggerty and Emo on the bench right mm-hmm. and Murphy uh, i guess on the bench as well yep. although then yep. you've got and then you've got aj pollock probably in the dh spot right and tommy listella be, i think pollock or listella yep. right listella is a lefty hitter right so you could yeah, you okay. could theoretically have him which is fine yeah. and then you put pollock on but, the bench too and that's your bench right? yeah yeah that's your bench so i i think that's what we we're looking at i think the <laughs> here's the challenge that that is a bad DH setup. That is a that is a worrisome DH setup to me. Uh, if you are looking at a platoon, a, a thirty-four and thirty-five-year-old sort of platoon, I guess of um, of of out of you know AJ Pollock and Tommy or Tommy Listell and AJ Pollock respectively. Neither of whom were good hitters last year. And, you know, I think Pollock's probably going to be fine if he's given his sort of role. Right. But, like, oh, God, the, you know, it's just, it does highlight, like, this is a roster that still probably would really benefit from one more hitter. Um, and I, if they are not going to add one, you know, I, I mean, I just don't, I don't know exactly, you know, I don't know that there's that, that hitter is out there. So no. I, I don't have hitter a has great to be solution at this point. And we have hitter nothing has to be to traded trade. for. Yeah. I mean, it also, it doesn't need to be like a huge signing, right? It can be like someone like Seth Smith kind of equivalent player where it's like, this is a limited player who is only asked to do you know i mean that's what pollock is essentially right is like you can you can almost go you know you can go for a more limited player you could um what's his face who the darren ruff something like that where it's like that's not exciting in the slightest to me but it is like all right but you know we're going to ask you i I would prefer a left-handed hitter to be frank unless they really the, the only way I think this gets shaken up is if Tramel and Kelnick are looking really good and they feel confident enough yeah. that they are going to either roll with both of them over Listella. And I think that there's or... a real I think Listella's here is insurance. I I think Listella's here in case like, yeah. Tramel especially case doesn't go. blow the doors off. And yeah, in case Dylan Moore yeah. is in fact slow. The investment in him is really low. It's it's league minimum. They can cut him with no problems. So I just don't know how long Tommy Listello's on this roster. I don't know if he makes it all the way through spring training. 
Um, but that does, I mean, looking at that bench and talking in that way does kind of lead me to this question Joe Asmundson asked. We were only three games back of Houston from 622 on and played them tough in the playoffs. I will agree with all of that. Now with a full season of good Julio, good Cal, Castillo and Kirby in the rotation and possibly upgrading two positions, are we closer to them than most people think, even with a disappointing offseason? I think that they, I, I don't know what most people think. That That's sort of the challenge. Um, I think that the Mariners are closer to them. I think the Mariners are as close to Houston as they were at the end of last year. Okay. I think that means that they are much closer than they were at the beginning at the start of last year Mm -hmm. because i think seattle got a lot better and houston got a little bit worse but i am erlander leaving but what about the emergence of framber valdez i mean framber yeah framber framber's framber's deflating unfortunately i mean you know he was he's been really good but like he's he was so steady and they have uh christian javier who really took a step forward last year um you cannot really count on lance mccullers to be healthy no. but he's you know when he is healthy he's quite Your good he's been pretty shaky have, he's been shaky but he's he's been shaky in the way that like Marco Gonzalez is shaking. Uh, yeah. Where it's like back at, he's the this back is, of their, yeah. if he's your fifth starter, okay. that's yeah. okay, no, that's right? Fair. Like you know, their their rotation and Seattle's rotation, I think, have a lot in common. Um, where it's like the top is pretty good, but not necessarily the best in the league. We actually got a, a question about this from Ben at Geek Gel. <laughs> Uh, which ties in to, to Joe's, I think, in, which is that in most of the publications that have been ranking pitching rotations, the M's rarely even get an honorable mention. Do you think this is because our number five spot is iffy comparatively and the other rotations are that much better, or are we being criminally overlooked? Um, and I, I, I don't think Seattle is being criminally overlooked. I think Seattle and Houston both have the real positive of being very steady and and I think having a about as high floor of a ceiling as you can or of a as high floor of a ceiling as a high floor of a rotation as you can hope to have because their rotations are young they have as much as you can hope for pretty good health histories you know you're still looking at pitchers so you've got people who have been hurt before you know I mean Marco Gonzalez is a steady guy you know a steady rotation guy He's had Tommy John surgery, right? Like this is not, they're not just because they're they're sort of relatively consistent. Um, and I so I, it's it's sort of I think that the Mariners are going to need what is very reasonable to hope for, which is that George Kirby and or Logan Gilbert take a big step uh-huh. forward. I mean, I will say I think that the Mariners are being pretty underrated everywhere. I think Luis Castillo is being underrated. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball. He was not, he did not make any of the lists, you know, for like MLB's top starting pitchers. He wasn't even in like the just missed category. And I think that that's 
tremendous oversight. I don't know what else Luis Castillo has to. I honestly feel like playing in Cincinnati hurt him, and being traded midseason probably hurt him because he wasn't. If he had had a full season in Seattle of leading this rotation, and the team went to the playoffs, he'd be atop every list everywhere. I think they'd be like, "Oh, Luis Castillo led Seattle to this historic place." Um, Depoto talked about this in the presser but he said um when Luis Castillo came he changed the character of the team that when he walks out to the mound it has a different feeling and having been there and been around like when Castillo when it was a Castillo start day you know Jesse Winker bless his heart ran out looked at the looked at the starting lineup one day saw and he said oh it's a Castillo day we're gonna win and he went running across the other you know and then Eugenio Suarez walking through and like Luis Castillo is the best pitcher in the world. Like there, there's such an energy and enthusiasm. It is a difference maker that he brings. Depoto called the la- three of the best baseball games that he has ever seen in recent years, and Castillo started all of them. He says the Yankee game was the best game he'd ever seen. Um, which you know, I'm sure there's some recency bias in that, but that level that. That caliber of pitcher, I think that he's being underrated. I think George Kirby really showed us in that last game of the season. I mean, he was just so, he was so good. He was so good. And then he was excellent. And I feel like pretty confident in forecasting that George Kirby is going to be excellent. I don't think he needs to take a step forward. I think he just needs to be that pitcher he was in the ALDS again, which is a big ask, but... We've seen it. We know it's in there. Uh, Logan Gilbert, I know that there's a question about how many bats he misses. He's such a tinkerer. He's such a hard worker. Development isn't linear. I feel confident in predicting that Logan Gilbert is going to be take a step forward next year. And then, yeah, you fill out the rotation with whatever you've got. That's a Who knows what Robbie Ray is going to be? I really hope that it's going to be an improvement. Again, somebody who is definitely a hard worker and is looking for answers and he's in the right place to find them. Yeah. I've, I feel like the Mariners pitching staff is severely undervalued. Uh, and I would put us up against Houston, which is steady and consistent, but I don't think has that same knock it. Valdez is great. He gets a ton of ground balls. He's very frustrating to hit against. He is not dominant in the way that I think Luis Castillo is dominant. I'm not even sure if he's dominant in the way that George Kirby is dominant. So, and I don't think that's homerism. Like, that's just, as far as, like, powerful, dominating stuff, I think the Mariners have more of that in their rotation. I think, uh, yeah, I think there is more upside in Seattle's rotation. Um, What I think they do get knocked for a bit, I mean, it isn't even being knocked for. I think it's just they are well suited to their park, to their home park, um, which is good design. <laughs> it's, you know, it's what you want to see. Um, and so in terms of, you know, what the what what they get credited for, uh, you know, looking looking forward, I think that they are probably likely to outperform their projections to me. Um, And I think the 
big positive for Seattle. The thing that Seattle has going most of all, again, is that, yes, they were really healthy last year. They're also mostly quite young, and the older sort of veteran players that they have have really solid track records of posting and, and you know, getting, if you know, even if, like, Castillo missed a month last year. He, he's not, like, a injury-free player, but I think a lot of this does still, you know, the Mariners are likely, the Mariners have really good odds of making it through most of this year with maybe seven or eight starting pitchers being used. And if you are able to do that, you're in really good shape as a team because it means you're just not punting as many games, right? The Mariners punted so many games from 2016 to 2018 because their rotation fell apart. Not even 2016, like, you know, going back to 2014. I mean, it just was a catastrophe. And now having this young group that has made it, that they've been able to develop, uh, you know, I think it's reasonable to say, yeah, Atlanta's got more upside. The Phillies have more upside. The Mets have a better rotation. I think Texas has put together a really, really imposing rotation, unfortunately. Mm. But there's there's more risk. I, I just yeah. they they the risk reward is huge there, I think. Risk reward is huge. But but I think you know that's that's sort of what they're looking at, I right? Take, is like, I would take Seattle's rotation have, over Texas's rotation, personally. Now we I don't even I have to be too. all that scared about Jack Leiter. What has happened to Jack Leiter? A lot of stuff. He's fallen off. Backed up stuff. I realized yeah. that he had fallen off. I mean, I've had that as a scary, like, you know, the Jaws music, like, nah, 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 nah. like he's coming. And then I checked the prospect list this year, and all of a sudden, what happened, John? Um, I actually wrote up Jack Leiter a little bit. Um, essentially, he he fell off a little bit mechanically, and so his he was missing um basically he was missing glove side a lot with his uh off speed and so people weren't biting as much and his fastball while it's still a good pitch was not as consistent and it got hit a little more it was down um, maybe a couple ticks um you know where it's still a good pitch but it was not elite and he's always had a smaller frame so he's you know, there's a little more risk now that he might be a reliever because he was not getting deep into games and he was walking a ton of people. And I think that's obviously fixable, but it was an issue. Um, mm. So, yeah, you know, and I mean, the, the, the challenge is Texas's like, best pitcher. Will Texas be able to fix him, which they don't have quite the track record of developing and no. sustaining pitchers. No, but the, the yeah, but I mean, in in defense of Texas, something I don't mm -hmm. really feel mm -hmm. great about saying. Mm -hmm. um, their best pitcher from last year might now be their worst starting pitcher. Right. I'm sorry, who is in the rotation? Right, it's Degrom, Grom, Nathan Yavaldi, Andrew Heaney, <laughs> John Gray. Martin Perez. Okay, and then they have Jake Odorizzi in their like swing right. man. And then all of their other normal starting pitchers from last year Jane are Dunny, still there. Cole Reagans, just, Glenn Otto, none of whom Glenn are especially Otto. 
and Danny Duffy. Oh, great. Sure. For some reason. I mean, Andrew Haney, uh, I only remember us kicking him around as an angel. So the name does right. not. He, I mean, he's been better. No. Andre you know, was he, solid, but I mean, I don't think there's there's not the ceiling there that is in. So, I mean, you're looking at DeGrom and Ivaldi, two-time TJ. Yeah, but you've always been two guys who have had real trouble steady. staying on the field over their careers. Uh, yes, I think I'm it's. Sorry, I think I'm, it's ta- fair. I'm taking Seattle's rotation risk. over this rotation a hundred percent. It's not close. I think I would too. I just I see why Seattle rates lower, and it is because. I think there is I I do think there's more upside in this, right? Of of Gray and Heaney uh and DeGrom especially are pitchers who have had stretches of excellence that have been marred by health issues. And when you have that type of profile, if it all lines up, then you know, you you have a much wider range of variability and I think the Mariners have a much uh, have a somewhat narrower range of variants uh which is not not so bad uh and not something i mind particularly given um you know how how much i think that that can give them stability for for this year i'm I'm nervous about texas but i'm nervous about texas because of the improvements they've made to their lineup which i feel like are not when i look at the mariners compared to the rest of the al west what can what concerns me is not the rotation. I think they absolutely could contend for best rotation in the division and might have it, um, depending on how Houston goes. But I feel like lineup-wise, they are maybe third best. Maybe third best. And didn't make the kinds of upgrades that the Rangers made. And even the Astros, I mean, they were just starting from such a higher place and then they brought in a Breu who's going to be a huge upgrade over Guriel I think so mm, I, I don't know I, I, I don't think that there are any I think they are as close as they were at the end of last season to Houston but unfortunately as we saw like that probably won't be enough if things play out the same way that they did this season in the playoffs even we gave them our best and they were better than us so that's just tough that's that's a tough thing for me to get I, yeah i will say i don't i don't think texas has i i was shocked how texas i think texas went so aggressively with their pitching staff improvements this winter um and it was very impressive but i am still encouraged by how poor I think their lineup is going to be. You know, they have Seeger and Semyon, mm-hmm. and I think Josh, Josh Young going to be a real pain in the butt. Solid. Nathaniel, don't call him Nate uh, Lowe, is going to be a real pain in the butt. Yeah, Jonah Heim and Mitch Carver. Uh, yeah, Jonah Heim kind they're of a pain in the butt. Uh, I think that like outfield is... Bust, but pretty, pretty good sometimes. Adolis, I think, is yes. I think the challenge is Adolis is easily their best outfielder, and they have a chance to maybe they may have 
I mean, they won't have the worst outfield in the division because the A's Exist. continue existing. Yeah. But like, it's not, it's not, I guess, out of the question to me that the A's might have a better outfield than them. And that is, that is where I am sort of surprised that they didn't make a move. And, you know, there's still right. time, right? Like they could sign, I don't know, it, like they should bring back Jerks and Profar or something. That would make a big difference. And that would suck. But, um, yeah, I, I just, I, you know, I think there's, I think there's a lot of reason to think the Mariners will outperform those expectations because of their youth, because even Robbie Ray is someone who has sort of vacillated between average and excellent and sort of has done that year to year, which is annoying, but hopefully that means he's sort of made some improvements to, to get, I should say too, like my opinion of the Mariners is baked in with, uh, Jared Kelnick making a very low level contribution if Jared has indeed, and I'm going to be so anxious to watch him in spring training, like if Jared has indeed taken these steps forward and is confident and happy at the plate and being the player that I feel like we've always kind of believed he was, it, that to me changes these projections pretty drastically. Because if Jared is hitting well, be OBP, but not necessarily like big boppers up the middle, which is uh, what's what's worrying me. My the middle infield concerns me to no end uh, as far as hitting goes. So if if left field isn't kind of a black hole offensively, which it was last season, that changes the calculus to me drastically. I just am not. Having not seen Jared in a while, I'm not confident enough yet to make that prediction. Want to? I want to believe. It's like the spaceship, but it's got Jared's face on it. It's an X Files reference, by the way, John. I know the X Files. Uh, that one. Uh, <laughs> Just... That one. That one was slightly after Don Knotts was in. Oh Scooby-Doo. my god. Um, for my. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I watched X Files. I watched X Files in a scary cabin. Oh, no, uh, nope. which is a bad way nope, to do it. Absolutely no. Bad absolutely way not. to. Uh, All right, let's go to another. <laughs> let's go to, to another feel. terrible thing. Um, so speaking of, you know, X factors possibly for the <laughs> roster, there was also a lot of talk about Evan White, who's apparently now healthy, as healthy as he's been since 2021, which was uh, when his first of kind of these excessive injuries that he had occurred so healthy evan white they're they're happy with him apparently he's been working out looking good uh no pain no dane dane thompson asks what's the cutest animal you'd be willing to sacrifice to both keep evan white healthy and a league average hitter all season oh i hate this question i hate it so much it's a nutria Nutria. Uh, oh, those are real cute. cute. Wow, they're you pretty went. Cute. They're pretty cute. They're also rodents. So, I mean, there's a teeth issue mm. that's a little creepy to me, but yeah, I don't know. That's what my heart yeah. said. My heart said oh. Nutria. So these are these are like humpback capybaras. Yeah, like... yeah, they're cute. I didn't say capybara. I won't, I won't go that far, but Nutria, yeah. which is also otter in Spanish, um, which just yeah, uh, I forget how much i like watching it is so aesthetically pleasing to watch 
Evan White play defense, and I would rather look at that than look at a Nutria, I guess, was, was my justification there. Um, do people think deer are cute? Deer? Yeah, deer. I mean, deer are cute, I guess. There's so many of I'd, them, and I'd, they're I'd, kind I'd, of a I'd, I'd, yeah. so, I mean... Well, that's what I was thinking. I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd sack a cute okay. deer. Bambi. John's um, going to kill I'm, Bambi, everybody. Just I on was, the record. I will kill Bambi, Bambi for Evan White. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I feel bad about... <laughs> I feel bad about this one. It doesn't. It, yeah, hearing, hearing you say it, hearing you, hearing you say it back to me, <laughs> I do. I think it feels pretty rough it's that a uh, you know. And I, I'm yeah. praying on your soul later tonight. This is this is a rough one. Are you? You're the ghost of Christmas. <laughs> I didn't say. <think, laughs> you got a side gig. <laughs> Listen, it's uh, yeah, it's. Uh, Okay, I appreciate it. Right. Here's a good that. one. Here's a good Sorry. one. Zach Gabal, who apparently actually reads the articles on the website. Thank you, Zach. How many and who specifically of the NRIs do you expect to play for the Mariners this season? I like that question. Because it allows me to plug my NRI article, which is on the website. Non-roster invites the people who are invited to spring training camp, even though they are not um, in the roster necessarily. These are usually players who are prospects who are not on the 40 man yet or they're um career minor leaguers looking for a shot with a new team or they are mlb players vets who are looking to kind of recapture a bit of magic maybe put on a showcase for other teams hope, hope, hoping to get signed things like that so, so the full list is up it includes some exciting guys like prospects taylor dollard pitcher Emerson Hancock, uh, what's his face? Bryce Miller, who's kind of the the hot prospect right now. Uh, Brian Wu, got Casey Sadler. Oh, those are uh, Taylor Williams, who you will remember as having gotten us Matt Brash for free. Um, and then some infielders who are less interesting, and some outfielders who are even less interesting. But anyway, what do you? Who do you think? Who do you think, John? I I think the bullpen is where we're going to get yeah. somebody. Um I mean it's not that's not a it's not a particularly hot take. Um especially cuz we've gone through how many, you know, folks are are not there. Uh the way they've talked about Bryce Miller really does make it seem like they might just stick him in, right? They they said Depoto was saying we're going to take the best whatever it was, you know, 13 pitchers and uh, you know, whoever, whoever that is. And, you know, in a, it was something to the effect of there's, you know, in a, in a, when you are a competitive team, when you are going straight for a, you know, division championship, you know, division title, you don't, there's not, you know, you, you, you treat your players a little bit differently. And so you are, you know, Sort of like they did with Matt Brash last year, right? They were Matt Brash could be a starting pitcher still, you know, but one, they're letting him pitch for Team Canada, which is, or you know, he is going to pitch for Team Canada. I guess it's not they. He could just do it. They they don't have to, you know, fully approve it. But um, you know, but he's going to be a reliever as a result, and I think they may do a similar thing with Bryce Miller at least for the start of this year, where it is like. 
Listen, Bryce Miller could still be a starting pitcher, and he could still be a starting pitcher, broadly speaking. But if it's most valuable for the Mariners to bring him in and put him in their bullpen, and he is looking, you know, more impressive than Trevor Gott, or uh, you know, or if somebody takes a step back, or or you know, is is gets hurt, which just does happen all the time uh like you know it, it is every spring somebody goes down right Stecken Rider was i think hurt and then ineffective last year out of the out of the gate i'm, I'm trying to remember who all was supposed to be in the opening day bullpen that that ended up not being last year um but you know like i think eric swanson was not necessarily ready right at the start of the year but then uh, or maybe that was a previous season in any case, right? I, I think it's going to be Bryce Miller. Um, if there's another person in there, uh, I think Sadler is the easiest choice in part because he's been so effective when healthy. Um, and he's the type of player that I think if they don't add him, he could very easily gets picked up somewhere else if he's showing he's performing well. So I think they, they may be incentivized. And unfortunately, it may come at the expense of someone like Penn Murphy, who just, you know, if it's yeah. six to one, half dozen the other, you can send Penn Murphy down. You can't send Casey Sadler down anymore. Uh, I mean, maybe you can. I don't know what the nature of the minor league deal is. But typically for players who have a little more experience, they get an opt out. So, Yeah. That's that's where I'm at. Is there do you know who 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 do you envision? Is there uh I mean, I know it's he's not an NRI, but like Isaiah Campbell, do you think that's yeah. that there's a chance for someone yeah, like that? Yeah, I think there's a chance for Campbell. Um I might say Brian Wu, I think. If we're sticking to the NRI list, wow. I think it's Brian Wu. Um because I think there is still that chance that Bryce Miller is a starter. He does his stuff, I think, really does would play in the bullpen because he has a very hard, like, mid-90s fastball with late movement that just induces a ton of whiffs and then a slider that gets a lot of whiffs. And then he's got a change-up, and it's his third pitch, and it's kind of like, mm, it's okay. It's okay. It's a good minor league change-up. I don't know if it's a major league change-up yet. So... I think the choice is, do you want to continue developing? Do you believe in that changeup? Or do you want to just fast track him to the bigs? And I think that right now, Brian, uh, um, no, that's not his name, Bryce. Brian Bryce, Bryce, Brian, they all have the same names. Oh, Brian, Bryce, Miller. Bryce Miller has like the most <laughs> trade value of anyone in the system. So if they do want to make a trade, he's like yeah. their only chip. And he'll have more trade value as a starter than as a reliever. So I think Wu would Wu would have less trade value. He is somebody who I think would very easily slot into a big league bullpen. Um, the stuff is real and I think is capable of, of missing major league bats. So I think there's a real chance. Out of the NRI list, I think there's a real chance we see Brian Wu before anyone else. That would be, I will say, I, I do agree with you on the stuff. That's a big jump. It's a big jump to go from, you know, I know he was in the AFL, but, and he was looked good in the AFL, but straight from high A, that's, <laughs> no, I mean, it, it would be, it would be cool. But I, you know, that's the type of thing you can do if you are asking a player, 
um, to to just work out of the bullpen. I feel like you could see a very Dan, Dan, like the Dan Altavilla type. uh, And I mean, Altavilla maybe spent longer in the minors. um, You know, he he was on that Jackson team, right? He was still in Double A. Yeah, they jumped him from Double A to the Bigs, and I think. I think that if he they start him maybe in double A, if he proves he can miss double A bats, he's dominating competition. I think that there is a real chance that it's like a midseason call up. That I could that I think is is where I would be at on Wu is is a little bit a little bit more delayed, yeah. but I, I do think that there's um there's there's stuff there that would fit quite yeah. well. So, so maybe Sadler makes uh, it out of camp. I think that there's, they talked in the presser about Sadler possibly replacing Eric Swanson, um, which, you know, I don't think Sadler quite has Eric Swanson stuff, but, you know, the curveball is a, a strike. It's a strike getter. So it's a different profile, right? Different. The, the big challenge is just they need, they need to get lefties out. And I don't know if Sadler's stuff is the no. same. Type of lefty lefty swatting yeah, stuff, no, but uh, but we'll see. Um, and also, you know, just walk the lefties <laughs> and then strike yeah, everyone. Yeah, I don't know, <laughs> whatever. Design with John. Just never pitch to never pitch to Jordan Alvarez nope. again, and I, I don't think anyone's Absolutely mad. Absolutely not. I don't think nope. anyone's mad. Uh, all right, Kate. Well, I think that uh, that's going to do it for us. Um, thank you, folks. I think we actually answered all the questions today. Questions. We never did. I that. think we did. We, did. I, we yeah, I, I feel good. We had a we had a late late one rolling in from Jeff Haskell, um, which I think we did talk about a bit of who's most likely to have a significant role in the 2023 roster between Tremel, Cooper Hummel, and Evan mm-hmm. White. Yeah, Tremel. Yeah, I think it is Tramel. Um, I mean, again, right? Like the the dream is that Evan White is actually healthy and playing so well that you know he he's helping solve uh, that. Who's the extra bad thing? As a but I DH, Tramel is. Yeah, but you know, I think it's uh, <laughs> I think it's very um, I think it's very very interesting. Um, to and he is he is probably the player I am most curious to see this spring. Um, him him and Kelnick, which is uh, it's gonna be fun. So, uh, and we'll start seeing those players in two weeks. Um, so in we will be back uh, next week to talk. We <laughs> I'm I'm putting fingers crossed that that involves us talking about another contract yeah. extension just trying to manifest it um so we will see uh but until then uh until next time i hope you all get the contract extension offers mm-hmm. that you need in your lives um and thank you for listening uh, i know last time we spoke we had some questions about what the future of the lookout landing podcast uh is going to <laughs> entail um we did get uh unfortunately confirmation that the um podcasts are not essentially going to be uh, continue to be supported here on SB Nation um so 
That said, we are um, going to, we, we're sort of coordinating, especially with some other folks who had the podcast budgets cut uh, at other sites, uh, other baseball sites, uh, to put something together. Um, so we are going to continue to um, put out the <laughs> this podcast, uh, like we said last week, what, what the form of that um, is, you know, we'll, we'll make sure you know, uh, but this, we're going to keep it going, um, and, and please let us know, um, let us know, uh, it would be helpful if you give us feedback, whether that's on Twitter, whether that's in the comments on, uh, the podcast page on Lookout Landing, um, whether that's, uh, responding to the, to the, you know, or commenting and, you know, reviewing the podcast on whatever your uh, your your podcast host site may be um we can we can look in on all that just to see how are you guys listening to us you know are you downloading it directly are you streaming it from the article page um you know where are you getting it because we want to make sure that we are continuing to get this to y'all uh, because, you know, we like talking about this stuff, but it is more fun when there's somebody on the other end listening. So uh, thank you for, for helping make this uh, more fun. And uh, thank you, Kate. And a-